Bible prophesied of a unique time on earth. Israel would be returned to her land, the church would turn to false doctrines, technology would increase, and wickedness and immorality would run rampant. The time spoken of so long ago has come. Join Charlie Garrett as he breaks down these events for us as they unfold each week. Today is 2 August 2020. We're in a new month. It's uh, Sunday. It's time for the Prophecy Update of the Week. And Sarasota was spared a bullet because the hurricane that was coming towards Florida decided to make a, uh, what is this, a right turn, and it's kind of off the East Coast right now. They've probably got some good waves for surfing and maybe some high winds, but I doubt if we'll even get rain out of this. I don't think we'll get even a drop because the water side of the hurricane is always the uh, eastern side. And so it may pull some moisture across the state and we might get a little bit, but we might not. Anyway, we're very grateful in Sarasota once again to have dodged a bullet. And some wonderful ladies just walked in a minute ago. It's Tess and Lucy from the Seminole area of Orlando. Is that right? Okay. So they got smiles all over their face and it's so nice that you made this effort. So we welcome you. And let's see here. I'm going to, before I get into Israel, I'm going to read an article kind of like I have for the past um, about three weeks ago. And then before that, I've been uh, reading things that kind of show where we are in this nation and in this world. Uh, one of them was the uh, communist agenda that was presented to the uh, House of Representatives back in the early 60s and how it was so exactingly fulfilled even to this day, the things that they had planned to do. Well, here's another one of them. This is from an article from Zero Hedge. It's called How a Society unravels. In an interview with Edward Griffith in 1984, so how long ago was that? 94, 2004, uh, so we're almost 30 years ago. In 1984, former KGB operative Yuri, wait a minute, that's 84, 94, 2004, it's what? It's over 30 years. I suddenly thought that because I'm getting old. I, th these numbers stop meaning having any relevance. But um, yes, uh, former KGB operative Yuri Bezmenov. I don't know if you've heard of him. What's that? Bezmenov. Well, it just says Bezmenov, and so I'm just going to stick with that. I'm not Russian. I, Sergio's probably laughing at me in Israel right now, but he says Bezmenov. He outlined the playbook of the Soviet Union and the staged manner in which a communist apparatus takes over a country. Listen carefully and see if it matches anything that's going on here. The ideal recruit for the KGB were rich filmmakers, accommodations, and cynically egocentric people. These people held the most potential. What is required to destabilize a country are narcissistic, greedy, and morally devoid people. He cites that KGB recruited professors and civil rights defenders to subvert and destabilize the country. He repeats again, when these useful idiots serve their purpose, they are to be killed or exiled. His dissatisfaction with the KGB began after he understood what was to happen to the pro-Soviet Indian journalists. But when he tried to get the message across, they didn't believe him. The ultimate objective of KGB was ideological subversion, which was supposed to be carried out by changing perception of reality and not be bothered by what is true or false, but rather be driven by self-interest. He lists down four phases as to how it happens. Here's phase one, demoralization. This is a process which can take about 15 to 30 years to perform. 
during this stage, the moral fiber and integrity of the country is put into question, thereby creating doubt in the minds of the people. To do so, manipulation of the media and academia is required to influence young people. We've seen that all through our nation in the past 30 years. As the younger generation embraces new values, such as Marxism and Leninism in newer and trendy garbs, the older generation slowly loses control simply through attrition. Phase two, destabilization. The intent is to create a massive government permeating society and becoming intrusive in the lives of its citizens. This can take two to five years to perform, again, with the active support of academia pushing youth in this direction. Here, entitlements and benefits are promised to the populace to encourage their support. Basically, they are bribing the people to accept their programs. Does that sound like anything that's been going on in the past 30 years or so? Maybe even longer? Phase three, crisis. This is a major step lasting up to six weeks and involves a revolutionary change of power. This is where an alarming event upsets and divides the country, thereby creating panic among the citizens. I think we've seen that in the past five months. I think that is exactly what we continue to see, and this is driven by the left. It is an attempt to divide the nation. Go on Facebook, and there is no longer any harmony. There's none. There's none in politics. There is a divide. The people are on one side or on the other, and there is either tyranny or there is the pursuit of freedom. But there is no happy medium between the two. I'll read it again so you can think about it. Phase three, crisis. This is a major step lasting up to six weeks and involves a revolutionary change of power. This is where an alarmist event upsets and divides the country, thereby creating a panic among the citizens. Phase four, normalization. The final stage is where the populace finally acquiesces and begins to assimilate communism. This can take up to two decades to complete. The list of rules he cites for revolution are corrupt the young, get them interested in sex, take them away from religion, which we've been seeing in the Supreme Court decision just in the past a week or so with our chief justice siding with the left, make them superficial and snobbish in their understanding of the world, divide the people into hostile groups by constantly harping on controversial issues of less importance to create and compound a divide, destroy people's faith in their national leaders by holding the latter up for contempt and ridicule. Tell me that's not exactly what we have seen of our president over the past four years. They have been hounding him and ridiculing him without mercy. And these are all the left. They're all the communists. The Democrat Party, I say Democrats now, and it's a catch-all. It's a catch-all for Marxists, for socialists, for uh, the anti-fa people, the, the fascist people. They call themselves anti-fascists when they're the fascists. And the all of them, they're all just lumped into one category. So there's no point in saying, well, he's a Marxist and he's they're all just communists, all of them. So always preach democracy, which they do, but seize power as fast and as ruthlessly as possible. Our previous president... Encourage government extravagances, destroy its credit system, which will produce years of inflation with rising prices and general discontent. Incite unnecessary strikes in vital industries, encourage civil disorders, and foster a lenient and soft attitude on the part of government towards such disorders. That is exactly, that is exactly what we've seen for the past two months. Let them march, let them protest. This is an agenda, and people are so blinded to it that they, if they saw this, they would say that's not true. 
And yet it is exactly what is happening in this nation right now. They are in control. They are moving this nation in that direction. And the only thing that is standing in the way of it right now is the president of the United States. And they are doing everything they can to destroy him. I do not understand the mentality of people that say it's okay to not vote or that it's unchristian to vote. They are signing their own death warrant because they're, we're going to be the people that are lined up first. You proclaim Christ. If the Lord hasn't come for us, they're going to round us up and they're going to put a bullet in the back of our heads. You know, I get to be with Jesus, so that's okay. But a lot of you don't want that to happen. So anyway, we'll read that again. Incite unnecessary strikes in vital industries. Encourage civil disorders and foster a lenient and soft attitude on the part of the government towards such disorders. Exactly what's been going on. Break down the old moral virtues of honesty, sobriety, self-restraint, faith. The main point he makes... It all starts by the act of trying to legislate equality rather than understanding the fundamental that not all people are born equal, which they're not. Nobody is born equal. We're all in a different standing, but we have the opportunity to become equal. There's a big difference between the two. Once this process starts, there has to be a third party who has to legislate this equality, and that usually is the government. Once you create an atmosphere of information where people who are deemed unequal have to be made equal by law is where you lay the foundation of discontent. They are pushing Black Lives Matter because they are fomenting discontent by doing so. The very fact that they say Black Lives Matter when they kill black children in the womb means that black lives don't matter. There is an agenda and it has nothing to do with black lives actually mattering. It has nothing to do with it. These negative feedback loops are taken advantage of by politicians, and this ultimately leads to a critical mass of discontent. Tell me we are not at that point right now. We're like a powder keg ready to explode. Once a society is this fragile, it takes only one catalyst to spark the flame, which starts engulfing the system. This video was shot in 1984, but you can correlate to what's happening in Western society today. The prophetic words are about the moral decay of the society are so evident in the United States where riots have broken out on streets. The educated majority has gone silent and hooligans are getting free handouts have taken over. The free money is the opium of the people and the Leninist Marxist ideology will be having the last laugh. The Democrat Party of the United States of America has been infiltrated by communists for over 40 years. They have been slowly and incrementally doing the job of the Russians who are behind this, and now the Chinese as well. They have infiltrated our nation, they have taken over, and all they need to do is beat Donald Trump at this election, and when that happens, this nation will become a communist nation. It's going to happen so quickly that we won't even realize that it's gone until it's done. Israel today. Just so everybody knows, I wasn't even going to announce this because most people really don't care about the Bible. You know, I've been doing a commentary on the Bible every single day, verse by verse, starting with the book of Romans. I started years and years ago, and we have completed up through Jude 15 today. Maybe it was Jude 16 today. Anyway, from there, we'll be in the book of Revelation starting on 2 August. My thought is that if people haven't been reading the commentaries before this, then maybe they don't want to read Revelation as well. But if you do want to learn the book of Revelation from a dispensationalist viewpoint, which is the correct one, by the way, just go to superiorword.org on 2 August and click on the word today. 
and then it'll bring down that particular commentary for the day. It'll take 405 days to get through. There are 404 verses in Revelation, but the first day is an introduction. I tried to keep it short. It's only seven pages long. But um, from there, it could have been 80 pages long. I could have gone on and on with an introduction. What a book it is. But uh, that begins 2 August, and if you're interested, please join us. Um, From the BBC, Israel thwarts Hezbollah infiltration from Lebanon. We all heard about that, and that's the state of things right now, is that Hezbollah kind of tried to get over the border and do some things. They were turned back by Israel. Uh, There's been some tension between the two nations throughout the week, and we'll just have to continue watching and see what happens. I I have no answer for you as to uh, where this is going to go. Lebanon is in terrible shape. They're they're in absolutely terrible shape. I don't know if I mentioned them today or not in the uh, Islam section, but they are really failing quickly. Hezbollah may take over control of the entire nation, or the people may actually move them out. We're just going to have to see where it goes, but Hezbollah has, at this time, between 160,000 and 200,000 rockets pointed at Israel. So uh, it'll be a costly war on both sides, but uh, Israel will prevail, we know that, if they do, in fact, uh, uh, attack. So we'll just see. From Zero Hedge, President Trump's approval rating overseas. I put it under the Israel category because Israel has the highest approval rating of President Trump of any nation in the world. A new Gallup poll has found that views of U.S. leadership remain negative internationally. Across 135 countries and territories, the median approval rating for the United States leadership is 33% with views worst in Europe. Gallup also found that views of U.S. leadership in Asia remain near lows not seen since George W. Bush administration. This infographic provides an overview of Trump's approval rating in several key countries. Trump has proven popular among Israelis after he moved the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, and 64% of people polled there approve of his leadership. In Germany, however... A mere 12% of Gallup's respondents said they approve of the American president's leadership. But the Russians really don't like him, which is odd given that he is supposedly Putin's puppet. Well, we know that's not true. It was all made up. It's been fabricated from the beginning. It is what we call projection. The left in this nation takes what they are doing and they project it on somebody else. It's standard left procedures. They have been projecting this Russiagate stuff onto our president when in fact they are the ones that are communists. They are the ones that have been infiltrated for years and years and years. Anyway, from the Jerusalem Post, Court lets state seize pay for slave funds from terrorist prisoner. I would not have thought that they would have done this. There are a bunch of liberals over there in the courts in Israel, but they actually said yes to this. The defense minister announced that a court has endorsed its seizure of pay for slay. That means that they give money to their people after they kill Jews and they get a stipend for the rest of their lives. Even if they're in Israeli jail, they get paid that money and it goes to the family. Okay, well now Israel can confiscate that money and keep it. All right, Uh, pay for slay funds to a prisoner who aided a terrorist killer of six Israelis in 2005. The Tel Aviv District Court decision was handed down ruling that a new 2016 anti-terror law permitted seizing the funds in order to deter terrorism. Pay for slay is the controversial practice by which the PA pays funds to terrorist prisoners who took action against Israelis as well as to their families. Israel and the United States have both passed legislation 
against the practice. But the Palestinian Authority defends it as supporting families who have often lost their main wage earner through no fault of their own. They go kill some Jew, they get shot, it's no fault of their own, so they pay the family. Or as being necessary to keep prisoners from changing their loyalty to Hamas. Well, good job on the part of Israel, finally. The courts over there, just like our courts, they're infiltrated by a bunch of lefties and they can't get anything passed, but they passed this law in the Knesset and the courts upheld it. I'm very grateful to report that to you today. From the Times of Israel, Shin Bet said to have secretly tracked most Israelis' phones for over 2.5 years. They had no idea. The Shin Bet is the exact same thing as our CIA, okay? Long before the coronavirus outbreak, the Shin Bet Security Service was secretly tracking Israelis' cell phones in a clandestine program to fight the Islamic State terror group that lasted for at least two and a half years and may still be ongoing. The classified program, whose name is under gag order, was approved by a team of senior justice ministry officials. The entire nation is being spied upon, and this is what they've been doing in America, and they found in some cases that you can't do that. In some cases, they say it's okay, blah, 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 but they have the same problem over there. Uh, let's see here. These ministry officials headed by then-state attorney Shai Nitzan, as well as Attorney General Avichai Mandabilt but was not subject to parliamentary oversight, legislation, or any regulations. Under the program, the cell phones of most Israelis were exposed to Shin Bet tracking. The report did not say exactly what type of data was gathered, though it stated that the security service tapped into databases held by mobile phone companies to harvest information, apparently without the company's knowledge. The report did not say what sort of involvement or oversight the prime minister or the cabinet had in the matter. It said that the justice ministry allowed the service to access personal data of Israelis for an initial six-month period before later repeatedly extending that term for at least two and a half years and possibly even until today. The program's stated purpose was to crack down on IS activity in Israel, the report said. So they're, they're doing that over there, and the citizens have absolutely no freedom. If you're carrying a cell phone, you're being tracked. And that, I would assume that that would, I don't know how cell phones work because I don't own one, and I'm not planning on getting one, but I would assume that when you go to that country, you tie into theirs, and so they're tracking you as well. Is that correct? Okay. All right. So that's, I'm correct on that. Good job, Charlie's brain. Um, from Behold Israel, new technology will enable Israeli drivers to detect camels approaching the highway. This is a big problem over there, apparently. Engineered by Eamon El Sayed and Yoav Ludmer, who met at Israel's startup Negev, which seeks to put an emphasis on the Bedouin people within Israel. This development is GPS-based, accompanied by solar power. Their idea is to equip each camel with a solar-powered collar that is tracked via GPS. Furthermore, should a camel then come within 100 meters of the highway, drivers using GPS will be alerted immediately, giving them time to react with caution. The goal of this initiative is to monitor wandering farm animals and prevent car accidents. We're here to protect the lives of the camels and of the drivers and raise awareness of the different dangers that exist on the road. I like how they put camels before people. The Bedouin people are nomadic Arab people who occupy different regions of the desert and in Israel, most of them occupy the Negev. I don't know if you've been to Israel, if you have, and you went down to the Dead Sea or down to Eilat, you saw them. They'll be out in the middle of absolutely nowhere with their dark 
tents, and then they always have a TV thing, you know, the antenna outside of there. So they do have TV, but it's kind of interesting to see how they still live to this day. From Christian News Today, I would like to thank somebody. I did this during the Bible study, and I'm going to do it again right now. <clears throat> There's a lady named Susan Campbell, and she uh, reads or actually, I don't know if she reads and watches or if she does both, but she does has gone through every sermon that I have ever done. She has gone through every commentary I've ever typed. And I'm, that includes all of our sermons from the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, now Deuteronomy, Ruth, Esther, Jonah, and uh, something else I'm sure that I'm forgetting. And then all of the New Testament commentary I've done on the book of Romans, on the book of 1 Corinthians, all the way up through uh, the last book that we finished was uh, 3 John, and she, as a gift to me, had all of that published into book form. And it piled up on the side of this thing that high. Now, I, my mother took a picture of me with them. And two of the larger books, the first two Genesis books, are not in the picture. So you can imagine when you see that just how much information that is. And it's two-sided, too. It's not one-sided paper. This is a giant pile of books that she printed. And they will be kept in the back on a shelf that I'm going to build in our kitchen. Um, I want to thank her personally. That was an amazing gift. That was one of the nicest things that anybody's ever done because, you know, I've got the old sermons and they're almost illegible. I got notes all over them and, you know, some of them have got stains on them or whatever and they're just in a pile back there. But uh, this, is, this is everything that I have published and uh, I just am so thankful. So there you go. My hat's off to uh, Susan Campbell for that. Suzanne Campbell. I said Susan, I think, and it's Suzanne. Anyway, uh, from the uh, Christian Institute, Christians celebrate as Sudan abolishes apostasy law. I never would have thought this would happen, not in a million years. Until last week, Muslims in Sudan could be sentenced to death for converting to Christianity, and even discussing other religions could lead to arrest. This greatly limited Christian evangelism, and Christians were routinely persecuted for their beliefs including having their property seized by the state. Sudan's apostasy law came to international attention in 2014 when this brave young woman, it was amazing, when a woman was arrested for marrying a Christian man. Despite being raised a Christian herself, Miriam Ibrahim was sentenced to death for turning her back on Islam because her absentee father was a Muslim. She was also sentenced to 100 lashes for the separate offense of marrying a Christian man. She refused to renounce her faith and gave birth while in prison on death row, but was eventually released and permitted to leave the country. Now tell me that is not somebody that was willing to follow Christ at all costs. Okay? And she got that law changed. People like her willing to stick up for what they believe, and the Sudan changed their law. That's hats off to that human being. From Christian Headlines. Now, I'd like you to consider the irony of this. I'm not going to tell you what's ironic. If you don't know your Bible, you have no idea what's ironic about this particular article, and I'm not going to tell you. I just want you to I want to see if you can figure it out. Law forces Ohio minister to officiate same-sex wedding or face $5,000 fine. We've seen this all over the nation. We're seeing it again now, but I just find it ironic. An Ohio Christian business owner and ordained minister filed a federal lawsuit against I can't pronounce it, Cuyahoga County? I don't know, whatever. I'm sorry if I pronounced it wrong. Over a law that requires her to officiate same-sex weddings in violation of her religious beliefs. Christy Stokes, the plaintiff in the case, is an ordained minister and the owner of Covenant Weddings, from which she officiates weddings and composes wedding homilies, vows, and prayers for such ceremonies. At 
issue is, once again, this name of this county, Cuyahoga County law that, what's that? He's, he's getting it over here, too. We're working on it. Um, it's a law that prohibits discrimination in places of public accommodation on the basis of sexual orientation, gender identity, and expression. The law presumably applies to covenant weddings because it defines a public place of accommodation as any place for the sale of merchandise to the public or any other place of public accommodation or amusement where the accommodation advantages, facilities, or privileges thereof are available to the public. Stokes and Evangelical Christian could be fined up to $5,000 per violation for not officiating at a same-sex wedding. Covenant Weddings is a for-profit business. The law also prohibits her from explaining her religious views on her business website. So there you go with that. If you caught the irony, great. If you didn't, read your Bible. From Christian Headlines, a growing number of pastors believe their churches won't meet in person until 2021. As Christian Headlines previously reported, have you all heard that uh, Jack Hibbs out in California is holding his services? He's, uh, uh, what's it, uh, turning away the uh, law of the governor and he's holding his services. Some others, John MacArthur, I believe is. We've got J.D. Farage out in uh, uh, Hawaii that's doing the same. These people are willing to stick up for their religious freedoms, which are guaranteed not by the second, third, fourth, or fifth amendment, by the first, and not the second, third, or fourth precept of the first amendment, but the first precept, religion. Okay, you got freedom of press, you got freedom of this and that, all in the First Amendment. Religion is the first thing they mention. They're sticking up for it, good for them. All right, as Christian Headlines previously reported last week, Andy Stanley, pastor at the North Point Community Church in suburban Atlanta, announced that they would not meet in person until 2021, becoming the first in what some believe will be a growing trend. The Barna Group surveyed a group of pastors over the past week, and 5% of them said they did not expect to have in-person worship services for the rest of 2020. While the number may seem small, in May, there were no respondents who thought they would not meet until the next year. Of the pastors who were surveyed most recently, 49% said their churches were already gathering weekly for worship, which is down from 56% in late June. The superior word never closed, not one week. 26% of pastors said they had plans to resume meeting in July or August, and 16% indicated their churches would meet in person again in September or October. Another 5% do not anticipate gathering in person until November or December, meaning that 10% of the pastors surveyed believed their churches would not meet together until at least November. What a sad, sad commentary on those churches. Stanley explained the rationale for not gathering for worship until 2021 in a video announcement to their church body. He said they would only have a small percentage who would be able to attend and that people would be susceptible to infection if they attended. He announced that the church's staff would shift their focus to creating resources to engage people until their church could meet together again. Other recent Barna research explored how COVID-19 has affected church attendance among practicing Christians. They found that 32% of practicing Christians had stopped attending church either in person or online during the pandemic. They just gave up. 
doesn't mean enough to me to even search online for a church that I can watch. 35% are still attending their pre-COVID church and only their church. 14% had switched churches, while 18% of practicing Christians were viewing multiple churches online each week. The 14% at the end, my hat is off to them. If you're attending a church or two or three churches, good for you. If you can't go to your church because it's closed, I'm happy that you are attending somewhere because this is the most important thing that you can do is honor the Lord Jesus Christ with your life. That's it. Charlie. Yes. The viewers may want to know that Andy Stanley once referred to Barack Obama as America's pastor in chief. Yeah, I believe that. I think they heard you. You said it loud enough where uh, they, Andy Stanley once called Obama America's pastor in chief. That's a, oh boy. Anyway, from Islam today. Zero Hedge, Turkey rejects U.S. and EU calls to cease Eastern Mediterranean gas drilling as Greece threatens military action. We reported on last week, and Turkey says we're not going to do it, but next article from AMN. Turkey to suspend Mediterranean exploration amid talks with Greece. So they finally relented. They backed off from that. Turkish President spokesman Ibrahim Kalin said that his country has stopped energy exploration operations in the Eastern Med for some time pending talks with Greece. In an interview with CNN Turk, he said President Recep Tayyip Erdogan asked to suspend operations as a constructive approach to negotiations. The long-standing tension between the two NATO members escalated during the past week. After the Turkish Navy issued a warning notice about conducting seismic surveys in the waters between Cyprus and Crete. So we'll see where that goes, but Turkey is really pushing some buttons lately. From Risk Screen, blacklisted Russian groups Libya oil grab fuels tension in Mideast. I've been reporting on this week after week as much as I can. It's continuing on. Military contractors linked to the Kremlin have seized control of two of Libya's largest oil facilities in recent weeks heightening tensions between Russia and the U.S. over Moscow's growing footprint in the turbulent North African nation. Since June, armed fighters from the Wagner Group, a Russian firm with ties to the Russian government, have moved in to secure Libya's largest oil field and its most important oil exporting port, S. Cedar. The advance has helped Libyan warlord Khalifa Haftar maintain a blockade of the country's petroleum exports in defiance of U.S. pressures to restart them according to Libyan and Western officials. Moscow's moves show how Libya has become a key font in a struggle between the United States and Russia for influence in the Middle East and access to strategic assets. The two nations have also locked horns in Syria, where Russian and American troops patrolling near oil fields in eastern Deir Azor province have engaged in roadside confrontations. The Russians are doing things that are bolder and bolder, says Jason Peck, president of the U.S.-based consulting firm Libya Analysis, LLC. The recent Russian oil grab in Libya triggered a stern reaction by the U.S. in the Treasury Department. They cited Russian involvement in Libya in a new round of sanctions applied in July to Russian businessmen with ties to President Vladimir Putin. The U.S. is also seeking to counter the Kremlin's influence by threatening sanctions against their local Libyan ally, Mr. Haftar. In addition, the U.S. Africa Command has taken the unusual step of revealing Russian mercenary deployments in Libya through a series of public statements accompanied by satellite photos and other imagery. Interesting stuff there. From Mongolia. From News UN, the UN News Service, COVID-19 means development setbacks for Mongolia. 
Mongolia has been very vulnerable to the pandemic, not only because of its physical proximity to China and Russia, including close links and dependence for economic interests, but also due to its own inadequate healthcare system. We do not know the full impact the pandemic is having yet, but we know it is significant. For instance, in the first quarter of 2020, the economy contracted by 10.7%. That's actually not a lot. I think the U.S. went down 30-some percent, and Germany is even more than we are. And government revenue fell by 8.6% year-on-year, whilst expenditure went up 19.3%. Mongolia has had a large amount of debt, which means that there is an increased risk of defaulting on debt. According to the IMF, GDP is also expected to fall sharply to minus 1% this year, down from 5.3% in 2019. To bolster the economy, the government approved economic stimulus packages worth over 10% of GDP, which included several measures to support vulnerable groups, including cash benefits, mortgages, consumer and business loan repayments were deferred, and the mortgage rate was reduced. So they're trying to do what they can do, but they're only keeping more debt on themselves, just like the United States and just like countries all over the world. Eventually, the back cannot hold all of this burden anymore and the world economy is going to break. But we'll see where it goes. Daniel 12 Technology Today from Zero Hedge. U.S. closer to developing small nuclear reactors that sustain life on the moon and Mars. Imagine this, we're going to send nuclear reactors up there so that they can power these places. Just so you all know, Today is Jim and Linda's 40th wedding anniversary. Linda is the one that's always laughing real loud and keeping things joyful around here. So if you're watching online and you're not hearing all the regular laughs, and uh, yeah, that's Linda who does that. But they have been married today for 40 years. So hats off to them. They are probably out playing golf or something. Um, now they went up to some place in St. Pete on the beach. So anyway, let's see here. The U.S. DOE issued an unusual statement calling for private sector help in its years-long project to develop technology that would sustain future civilizations on the moon as well as Mars. Battelle Energy Alliance, the managing and operating contractor for the U.S. DOE's Idaho National Lab, is seeking information from leaders in the nuclear and space industries to develop innovative technologies for a fission surface power system that can be operated on the moon. Responses are sought by September 8th. After receiving responses, INL will issue a request for a proposal. The plan includes two phases, described as first, developing a reactor design, and second, building a test reactor, a second reactor to be sent to the moon, and developing a flight system and lander that can transport the reactor to the moon. The goal is to have a reactor, flight system, and lander ready to go by the end of 2026, the report says. Well, I thought that was really interesting. They want to put a nuclear reactor on the moon, and it's got to be really small so they can do it. But the next article tells me probably why they want to do this. They care less about something on the moon at this point than they care about the, what they have going on down here. From Epic Times, truck size reactors could help militaries growing reliance on electricity. So they're getting people saying, we're going to send uh, people to the moon and we need you to develop a reactor to give information about how to build that so that they can actually build it for us here on uh, planet Earth where we can keep our military going. That's my guess. I could be wrong. They may be two totally separate projects, but this is something that all the big nations are working on. We need to get an up hand on it, and so here we go. With increasing numbers of electricity-hungry systems, 
already in military use and more being developed, a secure supply of mobile power could be the difference between defeat and victory on the battlefield. That's where a prototype program to develop many nuclear reactors, small enough to fit in a truck, might come in handy. In March, the Strategic Capabilities Office announced it had awarded three contracts for a completion to make a nuclear micro-reactor prototype called Project Pele. Pele reactors will have to pump out between 1 and 10 megawatts of power, enough to power 650 to 6,500 houses, but be small enough to fit on a truck, ship, or aircraft. The DOD requirements also state that they should be able to be installed within three days, shut down within seven days, and pose no net increase risk. According to the SEO, the micro-reactors would support a variety of Department of Defense missions, such as generating power for remote operating bases. SEO also says that the reactors could be used for disaster relief and reduce the cost of investing in power infrastructure. So I don't know if the two are connected, but it seems suspicious to me that we have one coming out and then just shortly after it, another one comes out. And so we'll see where it goes and I'll keep an eye on it for you. From Revelation Plagues, Zero Hedge, British cat tests positive for COVID-19 in latest sign that pets can carry the virus. So there you go with that. They're going to need to develop little COVID cat vaccines, I guess. I'm not sure what they're going to do. I wonder if they put it on one of those ventilators. I don't know what they've done, the thing. All right, from Zero Hedge, Sweden. The one chart that matters. Now, Sweden, for a long time, I was reporting on it, and I was showing how they were doing really well, and they're the only country in the world that didn't lock down, didn't destroy their economy, and then some conflicting information from the Netherlands and from Denmark and, you know, from here and there, and all, you got Italy, and everybody's arguing, is it true or not? Okay, is Sweden doing what it's doing? I let the ball just drop. I just said, I'm not going to report on Sweden anymore until we have something to work with. Here we have something to work with. Sweden, the one chart that matters. While the COVID-19 epidemic continues to drag on in the United States, it's largely over in Sweden, where fatalities have dropped to no more than two deaths per day for the last week. Sweden has been harshly criticized in the media for not imposing draconian lockdowns like the U.S. and other European countries. Instead, Sweden implemented a policy that was both conventional and sensible. They recommended that people maintain a safe distance between each other, and they banned gatherings of 50 people or more. Now, if you look at the photos of them during the lockdown, none of them were keeping safe distances. They were not doing it. But they were told, this is what we want you to do. We recommend this without forcing it on people, okay? They also asked their elderly citizens to isolate themselves and to avoid interacting with other people as much as possible. Other than that, Swedes were encouraged to work, exercise, and get on with their lives as they normally would, even though the world was still in the throes of a global pandemic. The secret of Sweden's success is that its experts settled on a strategy that was realistic, sustainable, and guess what? Science-based. The intention was to never fight the virus, which is among the most contagious infections in the last century, but to protect the old and vulnerable while allowing the young, low-risk people to circulate, contract the virus, and develop the antibodies they need to fight similar pathogens in the future. It's clear now that that was the best approach. And while Sweden could still experience sporadic outbreaks that might kill another two to 300 people, 
any recurrence of the infection in the fall or winter will not be a dreaded second wave, but a much weaker flu-like event that will not overwhelm the public health system or kill thousands of people. The chart goes up, the chart goes down, and it goes over. And that is it. So I was right on this from the very beginning. If you watch these prophecy updates, yes, I'm a braggadocio over this. It's the only thing I've ever gotten right in my life, except marrying that woman over there and calling on Jesus Christ. So I, I, I will continue to be happy about this because they did the right thing. I recommended it from the very beginning. And here we are with exactly what they said would happen has happened. And the rest of the world has a destroyed economy. They have people that are scared. They're fighting each other in stores. I saw a video of a lady today, an old lady with a cane, and she turns around and somebody was next to her. The lady grabbed her and threw her on the floor and broke the old lady's leg because they didn't want to be close to each other. And then the lady just, the one that the one that did the breaking just walked out of the store. All the people in the store, just nobody went over to help her. They just kept shopping while this lady's laying on the ground with a broken leg. This is what is the result of what we have done in this nation and around the world over something that could have been fixed exactly as we have been talking about with that country since the very, very beginning. Newsweek. Sweden, which never had lockdown, sees COVID-19 cases plummet as rest of Europe suffers a spike. There you go. Not only are they keeping it down, but everybody else is going back up. Because they didn't get herd immunity and because now they have to face this all over again. They're going to continue in a cycle up and down, up and down until they get herd immunity by stopping what they're doing. Sequestering people away that shouldn't be sequestered away. From CNBC, trained dogs were able to sniff out COVID-19 infections with 94% accuracy. Good job, puppies. A new study which was piloted by the University of Veterinary Medicine Hanover, the Hanover Medical School, and German Armed Forces found that if properly trained, dogs were able to discriminate between human saliva samples infected with SARS-CoV-2 and non-infected samples with a 94% accuracy rate. The hope is that the method of detection could one day be used in public areas such as airports, makes sense to me, sporting events, and other mass gatherings. In addition to laboratory testing, to help prevent future COVID-19 outbreaks, according to researchers. While more research is still needed, the next step is to train dogs to differentiate COVID-19 samples from other diseases like influenza. So there you go. Simple stuff. Morality today. I'm skipping morality. I may just get rid of morality altogether. I don't know. But uh, it seems like everything in the other section lately has fit right in with morality. I mean, the two are almost indiscernible, like you know, what's going on in the nation. So we're going to go straight to our other category from Russian times. Start them early. New Russian law means kids will be taught. Now listen to this. Think of what we have been getting away from in this nation and it's been pushed by the Russians, right? We have the documented proof of it from the 1964 introduction into the congressional record and this guy that testified in 1984, et cetera, that the Russians have been in the Democrat Party of the United States. They've been having teachers destroy this nation because they're liberal commies, et cetera. Guess what Russia is doing? Start them early. New Russian law means kids will be taught patriotism and respect for elders in schools. While they're destroying this economy, they are bolstering their heritage. They're getting ready to take over this planet is what they're doing. Now, I don't think they're going to happen because they're going to go down to Israel and they're going to get stomped on by Israel when Gog Magog happens. But still, this is the intent. 
Russia's parliament has approved a bill to boost patriotism education in the school curriculum designed to instill children with respect for the memory of those who fought to defend the country, its laws and traditions. We're getting away from it. They're going to it. Aside from promoting respect to the nation, the amended law on education also obliges schools to teach kids to treasure Russia's multicultural heritage and traditions, as well as nature and the environment. So we're tearing apart our heritage where we've all melded e pluribus unum. We're tearing that out and we're dividing people black and white. And if you're not one or the other, you're going to be killed. And I mean, it's just... And here, they're doing exactly the opposite. The new legislation amends Russia's current educational law, adding the requirement that schools include the formation of a sense of patriotism to their pedagogical goals, as well as respect for the memory of the defenders of the fatherland and the achievements of the heroes of the fatherland. After approval of constitutional changes, Russian lawmakers, here it is, seek to ban gay marriage and adoption of children by LGBT couples. Now, remember what it said in that article that I read at the beginning of this. The people that are promoting this right now are going to be the first people taken out and given a bullet in the back of the head. Mm -hmm. They're the people that are being used to pass this agenda, along with the Christians who don't want it, but that's, you know, uh, incidental to it all. But they are now coming down on these people. The very thing that they are doing in our nation is the thing they're getting away from in their nation. You see what's going on? All right, once President Putin signs the new text, the bill will come into force on September 1st. Schools will be expected to implement the new curriculum by the start of the next school year in one September 2021. There you go. Independent. China set to block UK's offer of citizenship to Hong Kong residents. Now they've got all of these people in Hong Kong that carry dual passports. And it has been their right all along to come to England and participate in the English way of life if they want to, okay? China is not going to allow that. They're not going to honor what they said that they would honor by treaty and agreement when they handed over Hong Kong. China is not to be messed with at all, and they're not also to be dealt with. President Trump is doing exactly the right thing by cutting those people off. China has moved to block the UK's offer of citizenship to Hong Kong residents, warning it may not recognize their passports as valid documents. Beijing hit out after the government said it would welcome warmly any of 2.9 million Hong Kongers with British National Overseas Status, BNO status, who fear its crackdown in the territory. The move appears to confirm the fears of Dominic Raab, who said last weekend, ultimately, if they follow through on something like that, there would be little we could do to coercively force them. It comes after the UK suspended its extradition treaty with Hong Kong, which I reported on last week, in response to China's draconian new national security law, which it called a clear and serious violation of the agreement for the territory. 2.9 million people have the opportunity to get out and China is going to deny them that opportunity, and the UK will be able to do nothing. Zero Hedge. University of Minnesota students see reported violent crime spike after cutting ties with police department. That ought to be in our irony section. Mail Online. Chicago experiences its lowest number of weekend shootings in a month after more than 550 extra cops were deployed to the streets. Well, it makes sense, doesn't it? Wow. Epic times. New York City shootings up 220% from one year ago. Weasel zippers. Man comes home, finds out Antifa destroyed the Starbucks under his apartment, and he's not allowed in because of an explosive device. 
Now, he's a liberal reporter that's been supporting these people. So I went to Twitter and I tweeted on top of his tweet, my guess is you vote Democrat. If not, apologies. If so, what do you expect? So there you go. Zero Hedge, I need to buy a firearm. Now, this is that lefty guy that just had his place attacked, the Starbucks, and they're burning everything down. I need to buy a firearm. Radio host who defended peaceful protesters has apartment destroyed by rioters. So first, he finds out that it's not all peaches and cream when you allow these people to do what they're doing. And secondly, he's starting to exercise his Second Amendment rights, which he's probably been speaking against for the past lifetime of his life. Ah, anyway, all right, Wall Street Journal. A&E has lost half half of its viewers since dropping live PD. People are upset. They don't want this type of stuff to go on in this nation. They've lost half of their viewers. I hope they lose all of them. I hope they fold because of it. CNN video. Democrat mayor. This is Chicago. Chicago's gun problem due to other states having virtually no gun control. So they have no gun control and yet they have no crime, but it's their fault that she has crime in her state. There you go. MSNBC, feds running guns. Here it is, feds running guns into inner cities to help facilitate soaring murder rate. Now they're blaming the feds. They're bringing in guns and they're giving them to these protesters. They'll do anything to deny the reality of the situation. Mail Online, Giants DeAndre Baker and Seahawks Quinton Dunbar to miss the start of training camp after being placed on paid leave following their armed robbery arrests in Florida. What? Armed robbery, they'd get on paid leave. Anybody else, you know what they would do? They'd say, you're out of here. But let these guys just go out and armed robbery and they get paid leave. From Fox, Mike Ditka, I know you heard it. I'm so happy, I'm just gonna repeat it anyway. If you can't respect our national anthem, then get the out of here. He didn't say the F word, he said the H word, okay? Good job, Mike Ditka. All right. Twitter, Pittsburgh Steelers defensive end Stephen Tuitt. Yes. Also, I'm not kneeling for the flag, and I can't say that word, blank anybody who has a problem with that. Tuitt wrote on Twitter on Monday, my grandmother was an immigrant from the Caribbean and she worked her blank off to bring 20 people over the right way. She had no money and educated herself to be a nurse she is living good now. And he stood during the national anthem while everybody else around him cowered on their knees. Good job. Hats off to that gentleman. Breitbart, firearm ownership surging among black Americans amid nationwide run on firearms. They're waking up as well, just like the lefty above the Starbucks. There you go. ONN, polls, more black voters choosing racist Trump. Trump and first step Act A, conservative black activist, says he is not surprised. Poll numbers show dismal support for Joe Biden among pivotal black voters, which means President Trump is poised to win their support in November. For decades, the Democrat Party has enjoyed a virtual monopoly over the black vote, and 2016 was no exception. Hillary Clinton reportedly took 92% of the black vote over Trump. In a new poll conducted by John Zogby Strategies and EMI Research Solutions, Joe Biden has the support of 77% of black voters, while 14% back Trump. U.S. Senator Tim Scott, a black Republican who represents South Carolina, has said it is game over for Democrats if 14% of black voters choose Trump. 
A second poll conducted by Rasmussen found 21% of black voters support Trump's re-election. So we'll see where it goes. We don't know what's going to happen. They'll steal the election any way they can. But I will say this. I watched a video on Twitter this morning, had some bad words on it, so I didn't post it on mine. I posted it to my brother. Um, but he, uh, it was a black guy, one of these BLM guys. He's out there doing his thing. And he came over to see what was going on with the Trump rally on the other side of the street. I think they were going into a sports event. Or I can't remember what it was. He was going, they're all lined up doing something. And I think it was, yeah, they're going into a Trump rally is what it was. And he, uh, he walks over and they start just kind of interviewing him politely. And then people say, come on over, join us. And they started hugging the guy. They started saying, you're welcome. Just come on in and join us. You don't, you know, you're not going to get any racism here. When you go in, you're going to see that's not the way it is at all. And he's, he couldn't believe it. He was like, I thought these people were going to, you know, start pulling out the uh, tar and feathers and all this kind of stuff. And his face was just kind of shocked. And then the news reporter said, come on, let's go see if they treat me the same over on your side of the street. And they walked over there and they were calling her every name except good. I'm telling you what, they, they just abused this woman. They abused her. And his face by the end of it was literally shocked. I've been on the wrong side all along and I didn't know it. Because he's watching these mainstream media, they have no idea. They just believe what they're told. He was literally shocked. So maybe we have a convert now. They were literally treating that guy, hugging him. God bless you. Just come on and join us. Nobody's going to give you a tough time. They treated him like their own brother. It was fantastic to see. Okay, here we go. Zero Hedge. Supreme Court sides with Trump, denies request to halt border wall construction. Okay, I know why they did this. John Roberts, it was not an important vote. And so he said, I'm going to do this. Because you can always do what with the wall that you put up? You can take it back down. So it's not that critical. So he looks like he is going over to the right now. And he's, 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 you know, goes both ways. I'm, I'm objective. Has nothing to do with it. He just, they know that he can build this. And if they win, they can tear it all right back down to squander billions of dollars and let him flood in. So here we go. The U.S. Supreme Court rejected a request to halt the construction of the border wall along the U.S.-Mexico border in a 5-4 ruling on ideological lines with five conservatives in the majority and four liberals in dissent. Actually, that's not true, as I just said. The court declined the request from two groups, the Sierra Club and Southern Border Communities Coalition. Sierra Club is an environmental wacko group. The Southern Border Communities Coalition says it advocates for people living in border areas. The case before the Supreme Court involves just the $2.5 billion in Defense Department funds. He had appropriated that, and he says, we're going to build a wall. This is all it deals with, and so it's not that much anyway. The ACLU uh, left-leaning legal group has launched a lawsuit on behalf of the two groups. The nonprofit organization has said it will seek to tear down sections of that wall that were built with the money. The Supreme Court had allowed the funds to be allocated in July 2019, granting an emergency request filed by the Trump admin. But the groups said in court papers that circumstances had changed since the court's earlier ruling. The court's four liberal justices dissented, saying that they would have prohibited construction while a court challenge continues after a federal appeals court ruled in June that the admin had illegally sidestepped Congress in transferring the Defense Department funds. The court's decision to let construction continue, nevertheless, I fear, may operate in effect as a final Judgment. Justice Stephen Breyer wrote in a brief dissent for the four liberals. 
well, yeah, that's what it is. It's a final judgment. They're not going to do this anymore. But they know that if Trump is out, they've won this anyway. They know it. All that money is going to get pulled out. The things are going to get turned into uh, razor blades for hippies that have long beards. And uh, that'll be the end of it. Okay. Orlando Sentinel. All NBA players kneel for national anthem as league resumes play. Okay. The what? Well, that was before that. That was a later game. Yeah, except one, which I was going to bring up, but now you've all said it. The first one, they all kneeled, all of them. But then this other guy, a couple days later, standing here says, I ain't doing this. One guy. One guy. That would be the end of my NBA watching experience if I watched the NBA, which I don't. So there you go. I got a lesser here for you. Let's see if you can figure out which article we're dealing with. COVID testing has gone to the dogs. You will soon read about it in blogs. If this thing worries you, you don't want the swine flu because you know that's what goes to the hogs. So there you go. Okay, I got two ironies for you and then we'll be done. From YouTube. After backing massive police funding cuts, de Blasio blames in part lack of police for jumping crime. <laughs> okay, mail online. This is, this is truly ironic. I'm sorry it's going to give you some mental images, but it's very funny. Georgia deputies are left red-faced after waiting hours for a coroner to arrive and inspect the body of a dead woman near railroad tracks only for it to be a male companion doll. Yeah. They, there's, they thought it was a dead person, so they're waiting there for the coroner to come, and it comes out to be a doll. Such is the world we live in. So from Sarasota, Florida to Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, I'm Charlie Garrett. This is The Superior Word, and that is your Prophecy Update for the week.